And welcome to the 367th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always aims to get you completely up to date. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everybody, as always I'm looking forward to diving into this week's developments, but before we do I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, what is on the agenda this week? We've got four segments this week. We're going to lead off with the uh, metagame online. We've got a modern showcase challenge and a pioneer showcase challenge to talk about. Segment two has our top paper movers this week, both online and in paper. We've got cards to watch in segment three. Uh, You and I have some picks that we think are good places to put some money right now. And our last segment this week is going to talk about the Lord of the Rings previews we got in the happy online stream. I don't know what the name of the event was, but they decided to give us a couple of uh, real dingers for the set that's already causing some other cards to move. Yeah, as far as I know, this was a IGN exclusive magazine article today, not an online event. I think the streaming event for Lord of the Rings is tomorrow. Well, I just can't keep track of all this. I'm glad that we have you to help me out with that. Well, I didn't know that these, as far as I knew, previews started tomorrow. So this was a bit of a a last-minute surprise for everybody. Kicking things off this week with Segment 1, Metagame Week in Review, we had a Modern Showcase Challenge on the Friday, I believe it was, or the Saturday. It, this one was taken down by Gigantic Jund. Uh, don't see Jund in the top eight all that often these days, but this time they took the whole thing down. We had Blue-Red Murktide in second and fifth. We had Creativity Combo in third and eighth. Hammer Time in fourth. Merfolk. A rare slot in the top eight in sixth, and blue-red prowess in seventh. The format continues to look diverse, interesting, and skill-testing. Yeah, I mean, if you want to find your favorite deck and get good at it, Modern will reward you for that, especially the people who are super dedicated to Merfolk. They're always the, the folks who I have a soft spot for. Now, over in this Pioneer Showcase Challenge, we also had a Jund deck in first. This time it's Jund Sacrifice. Uh, they were in first and fourth in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge that was on March 12th. Uh, so that was the Sunday. However, the real spice in this comes in the form of an Atraxa Grand Unifier brew that finished in second that I bet took a bunch of people off guard. This is a Sultai Neoform build. Neoform is a sorcery for a green and a blue that lets you sack a creature as part of the spell's casting cost and then search for a cre- li- your library for a creature with a converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrifice cre- 
creature's converted mana cost. So you sack a three casting cost creature, you go get a four casting cost creature, put it into play. Well, you want to get attracts into play, but attracts a cost seven. So how do you do that? Well, you neo you get a hooting mandrels into play, which has a uh, casting cost of six, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let's see, hooting or, mandrels. Yes, is six. Or Tassiker the Golden Fang, a prior terror of decks in standard five years ago that was a spec for many people that never really got there on hopes that it was going to do a lot of work in modern which it did very briefly and then just kind of faded out of the power curve of that format but now we have Huni mandrels and tasker both reunited under a traxa grand unifier so the deal is you fill up your yard pretty quickly you play a cheap two one two or three cast and cost shooting mandrels or tassiker and then on the following turn you neoform one of those into an atraxa and draw a ton of cards they're also running stubborn denials fatal pushes considers strategic planning thought sees so that they can control the early game and stay alive long enough to get go crazy they also have founding the third path which i'm assuming lets them cast another neoform yes it's a it's a saga for one of blue it's an uncommon and uh, step one is cast an instant or sorcery for a th- mana value one or two from your hand without paying its mana cost. So basically you get to like play this and you still get to do something with your two mana, which is so you play Founding the Third Path and you can immediately strategic planning. Then step two is target player mills four cards. You're almost always going to target yourself because you want to get as much in the graveyard as possible. And then step three, exile target instant or sorcery from your graveyard, and you may cast the copy. Um, You do have to pay the mana for that founding the third path spell, but when you're going off, you're going off. Yeah, it gets real cute, actually, because I don't think think it's in the yard when you fire off whatever you're casting on three, because I think it's sack after three. Right. I think that is to fully resolve first. I see what you're saying. the thing here is that you can either use this to cast the first Neoform, or... Say you cast a Neoform, which is currently in your yard, this has read ahead. So you can just skip to three and cast a Neoform the turn after the first Neoform. I, somehow I didn't think these Delve cards were Pioneer Legal, but they are. Yeah, because because Cons wasn't banned in Pioneer. The right. Fetches were banned. Right. I don't know. Specifically. So uh, once you get the first Mandrills or Tassiker down and you've got Stubborn Denial to back it up, you know, they won't be able to get... They'll have one answer... You counter that one answer, and pretty soon they're dead. Yeah, this is this is real cute. It's a pretty streamlined build. They need to be able to to handle the the neoform because they can't kill the mandrels or the tassiker in response to the neoform being cast because the sacrifice is part of the casting cost. Yep. So they're going they're going to have to counter the neoform. And killing the Atraxa when she comes into play is neither here nor there because you've already drawn all the cards. Yeah, thank goodness Atraxa puts the spare cards at the, at the bottom of the deck and not in the yard. Yeah. So this is real cool. I'm, I'm excited to see if Atraxa can post up in this format because if she can do work in, and start top eighting in both Pioneer and Modern simultaneously, it certainly bodes well for all the premium versions of this card that have been printed this spring. We have green-red mid-range finishing up this Pioneer Showcase challenge in third. We have Jund Sack again in fourth, as I mentioned. Grease Fang in fifth. Mono White Humans with three Skrelv 
in 6th, black-red mid-range in 7th, and then a blue-black control list with a little bit of spice in the form of Lutri as its companion, which means that it only has a single copy of every control spell in the deck. This thing's wild. 22 different instants. Uh, you've got the one Narset, and then a Ritual of Soot, an Extinction Event, uh, a Miser Thoughtseize, and then uh, Treasure Cruise, which... Uh, I still can't believe isn't banned in uh, Pioneer yet. <laughs> I know, right? But like part part of, part of part of why there are no fetch lands in Pioneer. But you're running like your Notion Thief. You're running your Torrential Gear Hulk. Uh, this looks like a lot of fun to play, and you will never play it the same way twice. Even the sideboard is uh, all one ofs because again, for Lutri you have to. But if you're willing to pay three mana and then three mana to copy something good. You know, that's what you're willing to do. This is this is amazing. Both formats look great. That's all I got to say. Moving on over to segment two, top paper movers. Maronar foils from Secret Layer going 28 to 35. 25% gains there. I would imagine that's got something to do with the Rat Lord. Essica's Chariot out of Kaldheim, 8 to $10. Only 25% gains, but it's because the card uh, continues to work, do work in Pioneer. Of course, I think it's it's rotated out of Standard at this point. So this is a Pioneer and EDH-only card at the present. Fiend Artisan has slowly, steadily crept up. Now going 10 to 14 this week. It's in 20,000 EDH rec decks and has seen some Pioneer play lately. Fiend Artisan looked super strong up front, didn't really deliver in the first six months, and got real cheap. So anybody that has had a spec stack of those is now in good position, as far as I can tell. Man, what? how cheap did this get? Let's see if we can bring that up. Single-digit dollars, if I'm not mistaken. I was going to say, I'd be surprised if it was, like, more than five. Yeah, man, this thing got cheap. Good job if you were in on a stack. I sure wasn't. Moving along, we've got Chancellor of the Annex out of new uh, Phyrexia, 3 to 450, 50% gains on the back of that mono white deck in Modern that runs four copies alongside the Kamigawa free spell that redirects damage. Shining Shoal. Thank you, Shining Shoal. It was my pick two weeks ago. I should have it on the tip of my tongue, really. The Gitrog Monster Borderless from Secret Layers foils 17 to 28. This looks like a low sales Secret Layer being targeted, a trend line that we've seen a little bit of in recent months uh, folks trying to figure out which secret layer is undersold and then going after the staples that may have been underestimated in terms of demand versus overall supply Uh, that certainly seems like the case here we've got similar push up on triumph of the hordes the fortnite version non-foil going 12 to 20 this will be people making plays on poison in edh especially ixhal the lieutenant attracts a lieutenant that uh, is one of the top five most built commanders lately. Played against it this weekend. Deck is strong. Doesn't seem busted. Sure, it could be made more busted. Uh, I would imagine it has a reasonable amount of staying power for the rest of the spring, and then I would not expect it to stay in the top ten for the rest of the year. That seems quite likely. We're we're very fickle when it comes to the new commanders. I just think poison is the kind of thing where there's a pretty decent chance that your playgroup will not look on it favorably. Personally, I, th- I thought it was totally fine. 
it, it added a new angle to play to like board management that needed to be considered and led to some interesting politics, which I always appreciate in the format. <laughs> but there are plenty of saltier pods that <laughs> will have things to say about you bringing poison to the table. This will end some friendships. It's like bonus stars in Mario Party. You don't know who's going to all of a sudden be really, really mad about things. There you go. Gwenna Eyes of Gaia at a Brother's War foils two to four dollars. It's a pioneer combo card. It's also showing up plenty in EDH. Talked about it last week. We got Vizier of Tumbling Sands foils out of Amoncat going ten to twenty dollars. This is a uh, single printing card in foil, as far as I'm aware. Very low supply, and it's a four of in the Lotus Field decks in Pioneer. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, you gotta love whenever you can get uh, foil commons for twenty dollars. Like, if you've got it, sell into this. Speaking of cards that interact with the One Ring, uh, you've also got Dramatic Reversal out of Transformer Secret Lair, not the one with Blightsteel Colossus, which was Megatron versus Optimus, but the other one that had a bunch of 80s uh, cartoon art associated with it. This is going 8 to 16, even in non-foil. And again, this feels like a low-supply targeting situation where of the two Transformers, the Blightsteel Darksteel assumed to be the better of the two, and yet... Uh, people may have seen an opportunity here to snipe some copies of cards that didn't seem to have as many total in the market as they might otherwise have had. Yeah, just the fact that we have to delineate exactly which uh, Transformers that we're talking about. Assault Suite, Surge Foil of the Week, going 5 to 12, makes no sense to me other than in the context of Surge Foils being continuously targeted. I saw a couple of different people talking about it on Magic Finance Twitter in the last couple of weeks that they were going out and buying up surge foils. And I think that's been a fairly persistent theme that we've documented well in the last three months or so. Noren's decree out of the all will be one commander decks, two to $5. That's going to be the Ixhal decks that are driving that plus some targeting. I would imagine Gorio's vengeance is a modern Atraxa card. Uh, Grand unifier. We're talking about people have been using it to put grizzle brand and tracks into play. I've sold, out of Gorio's Vengeances, I've sold nearly sold out of Gristlebrand foil promos, so some fresh life for those. And again, we have this potential for the Gorio's decks plus this Sulti, Sultai Neoform deck in Pioneer to float this card as the top mythic in this set for some time. Undermountain Adventurer Extended Arts out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. The EAs came out of the the collector booster packs going one to five dollars. This is the green initiative card. This is folks going after this on the assumption alongside the red initiative creature that these may be replacements for the uh, season dungeoneer, I believe, was banned right. uh, in Legacy to make that deck a little less dangerous. And the thinking here is that the green or the red creature may replace it in the deck. So they're thinking the three mana, the only three mana initiative card got banned. So they're trying out a couple of the uh, other ones that cost four mana. The Undermountain Adventurer, you know, gives you mana, has Vigilance. You know, it doesn't die to Lightning Bolt, but uh, Plowshares everywhere in Legacy. So it'll be interesting to see if Legacy really, really wants the initiative to be this this good. Moving on to Magic Online Movers of the Week. We've got Arena Rector from Battle... Battle Bond going 2.73 ticks to 5.13, 88% gains on the back of a Traxa EDH action. We've also got Caves of Chaos Adventurer, that's the red initiative creature. 
going 2.81 ticks to 7.06, 150% gains there for people that moved quick. And then the big, big winner of the week is Rafine Scheming Seer, a mythic out of Streets of New Capenna. Uh, it headlines a standard deck at presence that as a four of 3.67 ticks to 11 ticks, 200% gains if you were in on Rafine early. Looking very good indeed. That's the uh, the Heroes deck, the, the Legends deck we talked about a week or two ago, right? I believe so. Yeah, that's a cool deck. I like it. Um, I'd I'd be selling, right? If I had gotten Rafines at this point and I can move them out for that big a gain? It, it's tricky because a Mythic that catches fire and stays hot for a while on Magic Online can get up to 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 ticks. So All right. We'll see how it goes. I, anytime I'm up this much, I'm tempted to get out, but Magic Online is a little different. Hmm. I see what you're saying. Moving on over to cards to watch, I'm going to start things off with Cloud Shredder Sliver Foil Extended Arts. 5 to $12 is my target. Sliver hype, as we know, is incoming from the Sliver King deck that we're getting late summer vis-a-vis the Commander decks being put out alongside Commander Masters. There is an old border foil version of this card that is available at around $20, so four times more than these foil extended arts, which were available as bonus cards through a variety of secret layers over the last year or so. I would imagine this will be a lock, given that it gives uh, slivers both flying and haste for two mana. It's going to make the vast majority of sliver decks and... If you got to choose between an OBF and a foil extended art, and there's a four times multiplier between them, I think you're very likely to reach for the cheaper premium. I mean, I like an old border foil as much as any uh, nostalgic boomer magic player does, but you know, if I've got a sweet version at $5 and a sweet version at $20, I'm probably going to look at the $5 version and say, that's where I want to be. So watching this go up uh, is a pretty solid target, and I can imagine... Uh, just about any sliver that's been in the secret layer extra bonuses in the last uh, few months, these should be solid pickups uh, when the actual sliver deck arrives in the summer. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on this, especially at five dollars. Twelve feels like uh, it might end up being a little low, but we'll see. All right, tell me about your first selection. Uh, my first pick this week is a regular frame Modern Horizons Two Mythic that uh, just every time I play it just blows me away. It is Sword of Hearth and Home, the protection from green and protection from white version. You know, it's three to play, two to equip, uh, two, two, and protection from the colors. You hit somebody, and you will get a a basic out of your deck, and you will get uh, a flicker on anything that you want. And there's not a deck that I have that doesn't want both those effects. It's already in 58,000 commander decks. It's got two great abilities. It's up a dollar in the last like month, two months or so, and it sells a lot of copies a week. So I know that Modern Horizons 2 got opened for quite a while. Almost everything in there has gotten crazy cheap. Like look at some of the fetches in there. But this sword, it has the old border, old border version to look at. It's got a borderless version. I'm talking the most basic one. And I'm picking it to go from 9 to 20 in the next 12 to 18 months. When I see really deep inventory like this, I'm always hesitant to jump in. We're talking about 144 listings, so hundreds of copies left left for sale. It's got me looking at the retroframe foils that are currently around $10 to $12 with just 60 listings left and significantly less walls. 
You've also got the, I think the best looking version is actually the uh, borderless version of Sword and Hearth and Home because right. the art on that is particularly fantastic. And I have a feeling that, that that version has been called on this cast before. And yet, whenever it was called, if it was in the last six months, it was probably too early because as with most things in MH2 land, they continued to fall. So for instance, the foil borderless was at about 29 last April, got down to 22, and has slightly edged up uh, since January. Currently looking at 43 listings left on the foil borderless at around $20. I could easily be convinced that that's a buy-in buy point, given that it's looking like a fairly steep ramp, and I'm willing to bet that in Europe and Japan we can get an even better deal on those. In terms of the regular copies, buy list support is currently at... Over at Card Kingdom, for instance, you're looking at... Like TCG's own buy list is around uh, five and a half on the regular copies. So I imagine Card Kingdoms is pretty close to that. They're at six and 780 credit. The So you're not in much danger here. Although I don't think that this is a safe card per se. They could throw this in Commander Masters. and They would not put this in Commander. They still need one more sword to go. Yeah, but there's no new cards in Commander Masters. So that's not, a, that's not happening there. Yeah, I mean, like with sort of uh, the new one, we didn't get an old border, and we will eventually get a retro frame for all the swords because things kind of match. The main thing reason I wanted to highlight this is because uh, even just a month ago, or a little over a month ago, in like the beginning of February, the regular ones were eight dollars, and now they're up to like nine fifty. So enough has been getting sold to where if you had some at that super cheap price then it's time to start watching it uh, track upward. And any card where I'm selling, like, uh, let's see, uh, only six today, but it sold uh, a whole page of listings yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm, I see what you're saying about the other versions. I'm not arguing, like, on those. I'm just saying that if you want to get in at the lowest buy-in possible, and you can do that with these, and they've had a higher growth lately than the more premium versions if they leave this alone period and there's no reprints for two years your spec's going to get there for sure it'll go 10 to 20 plus no doubt in my mind i don't know about two years but yeah i see your point sort sort of truth and justice is in kind of a similar pattern um where it got a secret layer version but then when infect slash proliferate was suddenly a thing all of a sudden that sword was in high demand and all, you know, the rising tide lifted all boats. With Sword of Hearth and Home, I'm concerned with the regular copies that at $10, it could be a piece of bait that they seed into one of the top tier commander decks that we get alongside Commander Masters. It could be in Commander Masters itself. It's been out for two years so that it could be just published in a secret layer again. And on that basis, I'm pro I would probably lean towards these foil borderless that are probably available if I look hard enough between fifteen and twenty dollars. Currently on TCG around twenty-two. Right. I, I could if you can get them that cheap, by all means, that's a that's a great buy-in. All right. My uh, second selection this week is Relentless Rats Old Border Foils from Time Spiral Remastered. We've got this Caramonix Rat King that came out this year. It's not generating some tremendous amount of play. It's not even in the top ten built commanders at present. But rat card collectors slash casuals are kind of a hidden pocket of players. 
And the thing about this is you don't need for 30% of commander players to be building rat decks. You just need there to be a couple of hundred people on each continent that are building rat decks and are tricking them out and are going to put 5, 10, 15, 20 copies of a card in those decks. Because Relentless Rats reads as a 3 casting cost 2-2 that says it gets plus 1, plus 1 for each other creature on the battlefield battlefield named Relentless Rats, and a deck can have any number of cards named Relentless Rats. Anytime you have an any number of card, it helps boost sales. And more to the point, these are down to just 18 listings. There aren't that many copies under $20 on TCG Player, and over in Europe, they are still available for $7, $8, which is a significant discount over the North American pricing. So whether it's Caromonics or just the general collectability of these play-any-amount rats, the fact that the old border foils from TSR are more rare than other premium versions doesn't hurt either. This probably gets there. Has there been... There was a secret layer with Rat Colony, but not with Relentless Rats, correct? As far as I know, yeah. Okay. Because uh, I, I get my rats mixed up. And you're right. Uh, the rat players are, you know, relentless. Pardon the pun. But, like, they will go after a whole bunch of them, and, you know, they got to match. You, you can't play them if they're not matching. So, uh, the fact that you've got, you know, just 13, by my count, uh, copies, not even any doubles in it. No, there's one double on Lightly Played. So, you got 13 copies uh, under $20 on TCG Player. And over in Europe, you can get them for, uh, what would you say, 7? Sold. 7, 8, 9. Yeah, get there. Get some and enjoy that. That's some easy, easy arbitrage. So some guy would go super deep on, but to, to pick off five, ten copies of this, I think you'd be doing fine. I, I would fill the cart high, buddy. I would not uh, hesitate on that. All right. Tell, talk to me about Sarah Paragon. Sarah Paragon is the first time, like, I think since 2019, I have picked a card because of its standard play. But it is in, like, two or three of the top decks right now in standard and because sarah paragon is from dominaria united it's got um a whole year and a half to go before it rotates so right now dominaria united is at its floor it's gotten all the way to the bottom sarah paragon's down to nine dollars here on uh, tcg player and i i think that enough people are playing standard that we are going to start seeing it pop up around the end of the summer so i'm picking this to double up around uh, six to twelve months from now and you should be able to resell this at the right time and make your money back plus a nice bump so i'm just looking over the most played creatures in standard sarah paragon comes in an 11th after shieldred blood tithe harvester corpse appraiser lorne of the third path razor lash trends mogrant blade coil serpent screlve Graveyard Trespasser, Atraxa, and Denik. Blade uh, so Coil Serpent, terms, really? Uh, yep. Hmm. That's in the uh, the Grixis control builds, I believe. Okay. So the Shieldred as a mythic is first. Right. Then you have Blade Coil Serpent, Atraxa in ninth, and Sarah Paragon in fourth. Sarah Paragon also has the EDH support slid right into a couple of my white decks as it came out because of that ability to play land or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard once during each of your turns, not during your upkeep. You get to choose when you do it. 
and that provides a lot of flexibility if this stays on the board. Uh, it turns into a very solid value engine. If it sees four of play in standard all this year, you want to say yes. by fall by fall it's at the one year mark because it came out in it came out in Dominator United, which was September this. Year. It was the the big fall set. Yeah, so it doesn't rotate till the year after in standard, right? Correct. It will rotate in September, late September, early October of 2024. Buy support currently looking like looking like six dollars. Six dollars is a pretty good on that. Uh, you've already got the Europe tab open. What's card market say? I would guess that Sarah Paragon is pretty similar over in Europe. And like I said, this is the first time in three years, four years that I've actually been like, okay. Standard looks back enough, and this is the card that checks the boxes for me because it's not going to rotate until uh, another year and a half. It's in, uh, it's in as multiple copies in a very good deck. It's very consistent, and it's got enough EDH support to where I might not cry. So that's why I'm here, and I can I can feel you like trying to think of the holes to poke, and you haven't yet. So that's a good sign. I'm going through the list and trying to see how many slots are taken up by other mythics in this deck. A lot of the time they're only playing two copies of Sarah Paragon, whereas they play four copies of the Wandering Emperor. Yeah, but the Wandering Emperor is going to rotate. This isn't. Yeah, that's true. The traditional timing is that like when this a card like this will pop almost exactly a year after it came out, so... I'm willing to go in on a few copies now that it's hit the floor and cross my fingers and, and see if standard is back enough to be worth uh, speculative purchases. We're up about a dollar on this since early January. Mm-hmm. If that trend line keeps pushing up, yeah, you, this this may play out the way you hope it will. If it goes a little flat, I'm I'm inclined to wait and see until we get closer to the fall standard season and make sure that a people are playing the format because that's still somewhat sure. in debate and two that that is that this deck is still in position to drive prices on relevant cardboard fair enough i can i can handle being told to uh wait and see you know, like that all right moving right along to our uh topic of the week there were some fresh just a couple lord of the rings reveals the story behind this set is getting interesting because we're being told that the distributor pricing on the all the relevant versions of the set, set boxes, collector booster boxes, etc., are all extremely high. And you're seeing, I think Amazon had collector booster boxes at some obscene price. I think it was something like $400 plus. Yeah, it's 440 currently on Amazon as of today. Folks, don't bite that off because <laughs> that's definitely too high. So far, based on what we've seen, what I'm expecting is that this set is not going to be Modern Horizons 3 so much as some mix of Commander Legends and Modern Horizons 1, right? Like there's going to be some cards in here that make it into Modern. There's going to be a ton of cards in here that are playable in Commander. There's going to be a whole bunch of tribal cards of relevance. And today they showed us the the One Ring, which I had prophesized would be some kind of Mindslaver variant. As it turns out, it is not. It is a four casting cost legendary artifact with Indestructible. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. 
At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each bird encounter on the one ring. And you can tap it to put a bird encounter on the one ring, then draw a card for each bird encounter on the one ring. So, at minimum, this means you can't be attacked, you can't be targeted with spells or abilities, you can still be subject to sweepers. Right. Your board can go away in various ways. You have protection, your creatures do not. But you get to draw a card right away, and you don't lose life until your next upkeep. So whenever you're tapping this thing, you are ahead of the game in terms of drawing more cards than life you are losing, and that life loss is delayed. The other point here is that because the life loss doesn't happen when you draw the card, there are a bunch of ways to untap this, and then tap it, and then untap it, and then tap it, and draw one, two, three, four, five, six cards. And, you know, you and I were talking off cast and people were talking in Discord today about Mind Over Matter, an old Urza's era enchantment that lets you discard cards to untap things. So because this thing taps to draw cards, Mind Over Matter would let you discard some of those cards to keep untapping it so you can draw your whole deck. But that's not even the whole story. There's just going to be a whole, there's a ton of cards that can untap artifacts. There's also a bunch of cards that can bounce artifacts at will. There's a bunch of cards that can goblin engineer artifacts out from like swap a card in play with a swap a card in your yard. And that means that you can keep bringing the one ring into play to keep giving yourself protection from everything. I was going to say that um, one of the things I thought about picking this week was uh, Displacer Kitten so you can flicker it. And that might be a way to do uh, some really fun things. I, I mean, that works for sure. Uh, it's worth noting that in Brothers War, they gave us the Stasis Coffin, which is a staple in my Moldrotha deck, but it's not doing that well in EDH overall. That's a legendary artifact for three mana, where for two, you can exile it and you gain protection from everything until your next turn. That's only in 1500 decks so far. But keep in mind, that thing costs five for single use, this thing costs four for multi-use, potentially, and is easier to abuse and provides card advantage right away. Like, this thing replaces itself the second it hits the board, no matter what they do. And they also can't... People are going to overlook the indestructible clause. People can't just target this with Beast Within or Lauren or any of the other things that people are usually... Haywire, Might, etc. to destroy this and get it off the table. They have to exile it which is not easy. So unless they fare well, a lot of the times this is this thing's just going to sit there and do whatever it is you want it to do. It's going to be pretty amazing to see uh, the things that people get up to with this. I don't remember who we posted in the Discord said that uh, in eight key decks that run both uh, Voltaic Key and uh, Manifold Key, now you can untap it and retap it. Every turn you're going to get multiple ways to do fun things. There's no real wrong way to build something like this. And uh, like you said, Mind Over, Mind Over Matter was the first one I thought of. But there will be other ways to uh, abuse the heck out of this card, especially if you can uh, flicker it in some way. So um, I look forward to seeing the shenanigans that this gets up to. I think it would have been cooler, uh, like you said, with a Mind Slaver variant. But this is a... A fun way to do this. If you want to mess with the counters on it, you want to proliferate, you want to uh, move the counters off with any of the things that will do that, 
that's another fun way to mess with this so that uh, you don't lose too much life to it. I think a lot of people's first reaction to this was underwhelmed and seemed like some people in our Discord thought this was maybe like a 6 out of 10. Jeweled Lotus being like a 10 out of 10 for Commander, I put this at 7 or 8. This is, in modern, feels like it'll be a fringe combo piece. In EDH, I think this will just be a solid staple. You know, I don't think it's going to be Jeweled Lotus level where it's going into every deck, but in the decks where it can be abused, and there will be plenty of those, this will do solid work. I agree. You are going to see people abuse this card, and uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, there's there's a lot of fun things to do with this, and uh, I can't wait to watch somebody kill the board with this and like Psychosis Crawler or um, any of the other things that when you draw a card, people lose a life. The I forget the name of the Esper Legend who does that too. Yeah. The only thing I would caution is that because of the Indestructible Clause... Some of the ways you might want to recycle this thing is by destroying it, and that's not going to work. Yes. <laughs> you, you definitely need to be able to sack it to, to get your value that on that axis. This should go in most, like, red uh, red sack, bring it back builds, too. Um, your Duretti's, your Goblin Engineers, um, things like that. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people will ha- have plenty of fun stealing it. Uh, Thieving Skydiver likes to steal stuff like that. Dak Vaden likes say to Dak. steal stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the commanders that plays well with this, of course, is Gandalf the Grey, which they showed off today. Three blue red, legendary creature, avatar wizard, three four. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one that hasn't been chosen. You may tap or untap target permanent. Gandalf the Grey deals three damage to each opponent. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Put Gandalf on top of its owner's library. So one of the things people may not grasp here immediately is that you don't just get to choose one of these all the time the fourth time usually that you do this you're going to put gandalf on top of your library then you've got a wasted draw step drawing it and replaying it and then you're back in business right it doesn't have the choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn clause you get you're just going to get to do these four things unless uh the fourth one is gandalf lee's play However, and this is not a, ver- I'm sorry, this is not a may either. Yeah, you have to choose one. Now, choosing to tap or untap something, deal three to all your opponents, or copy a spell is <laughs> is a lot better than that black enchantment, uh, Liliana enchantment that uh, kills you on the fourth fourth go. the The penalty here is just that you have to redraw this spell, uh, and most of the time it's the fourth time. Sometimes it might be the first. If somebody tries to kill Gandalf, you cast a, a free spell. Like, whatever, if you're building Gandalf as a commander, you're going to run a bunch of free spells because you're going to want to have the ability to always put Gandalf on top. So you're never paying commander tax, which is a pretty big advantage in EDH in general, where people spend a lot of time and turns in the late game casting things for 7, 9, 11, 13, etc. Gandalf being able to kind of tuck himself on top all the time is real sexy. And he has great interactions with the one ring, right? Because you can untap the ring to get three cards right away off of it. Because you tap it for one, put a burden counter on it. Gandalf untaps it when you cast something else. Then you tap it again for two. And you can copy instants or sorceries that are drawn off the ring. So there's some very nice synergy there overall. 
There's tons of is it and Grixis spells matters commanders. I don't think Gandalf is going to shake the world, but because it's Gandalf, people will build it. I and agree with that. I think you can do a I think you can do a lot worse than building Gandalf the Grey this year. I think the neat thing is a lot of the is it commanders, uh, a lot of the spells based ones. They like they need to stay in play for a long time, and that generally doesn't happen. Like you'll play a lot of interaction, you'll defend them. But eventually, he'll, he'll something will happen, and this having the ability to just like, okay, the battle's over. I'm just going to flicker him back to the top of the library. I will rejoice when I see somebody build uh, some kind of like donate based deck where they get uh, three cat, they get three effects, and then they give Gandalf to somebody else. And so the next time that person casts an instant or sorcery, you just Gandalf has to go back. And it goes back to yours, and you just keep on having a good time with that. I I think there's a lot of fun ways to do this. This frame that... Uh, so we have the regular version that they showed us, and then like an inside the ring frame. Uh, they said it symbolizes the power that the quest for the one ring can have in characters' internal struggles. This is Gandalf uh, fighting the Balrog on the bridge, right? Falling from the bridge well, Falling, because yeah. the Balrog grabbed his leg with the whip, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's really neat. Uh, there's you're gonna know people who want to get pedantic and they're like, he's gray. Why is he red blue? Shouldn't it be purple? But well, just ignore those Gandalf folks. is Gandalf is the keeper of the secret flame, though. We're, we've entered a realm of lore I don't know about. So keep going. Yeah, so Gandalf is the keeper of the secret flame because he's he's basically an angel. He's the spirit, an angelic spirit from from their other dimension. It's, it's, kind of like heaven but it's really more like the source of, of all life and the wizards are all angel spirits basically that are sent to earth that manifest as men and one of his powers is he's the keeper of the sacred flame and i think he also has a ring somebody was mentioning mentioning on twitter or in the discord that he has one of the elven rings that were forged uh that makes him the gives him control over fire i think it was revealed at the end of the amazon series this year uh, as well if i'm not mistaken bottom line uh, there's going to be another multiple gandalfs in this set because they're showing different key characters at different like moments in in the in the narrative so there's also gandalf the white and maggie villeneuve did the art for that and it looks pretty cool so i would imagine that will be some kind of all your stuff's indestructible or and it exiles us something <laughs> or something like that and then we have Gandalf, friend of the Shire, who will probably do something fun with token creatures, I imagine, or, uh, you know, whatever kind of fun Shire-Hobbit interaction we want to have, because Gandalf just likes the little people. I'm curious whether there will be a five-color legendary commander in this set that lets you run five-color Lord of the Rings-themed decks. I can't picture what character would justify that. I mean, you but, you don't need to have a five-color character, just somebody with a five-color activation or, like, two off-color activations. Like, um, true. what's his yeah, name? Who, uh, Kenrith. Kenrith. Yeah, so Kenrith had that going on. I could also see, like, one card trying to encompass both sides of... Um, what's his bucket? Who Wormtongue had talked into it? The Lord of the Horse Riders? Oh, yeah. So, uh... So we have like an ability from the King of Rohan or whatever. Yeah, um, we have an ability from when he's under the influence and when he's not. You know, there's there's a lot of ways you could go about this. I would, 
if you ask me to put down money, I would say there will be some kind of five color commander that will be in one of the decks or something. Like they'll they'll give us that. Because if they don't give us that, it ends up just being yet another Jota the Unifier deck, just like my Transformers Jota the Unifier deck. If you get a whole bunch of legends and you want to tie them together, Jota does a pretty good job. I mean, that's what Jota does. He literally unifies them. So that's that seems like it's a, a good way to go about that. Maybe that's a reason so, to make sure you have plenty of Jota in stock. So far, nobody seems overwhelmed by the cards on display, but we're getting a whole bunch of more of them tomorrow, I think, during the uh, official reveal stream. So I'm sure we will have plenty more of this to talk about next week. In the meantime, where can folks find you online, my friend? Uh, you can find me online at Twitter, uh, at Word of Commander, or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering, should point out we had a pretty excellent group buy just this past week where we hooked up the Pro Traders with complete bundles that had been torn down to not include set boosters, and so they were getting the complete booster packs plus all of the Phyrexian lands for $40 a bundle. They were sold at 10 at a time, so for 400 or so, and we had a bunch of reports back from Pro Traders that they managed to exit from between $600 and $1,100 worth of sales on the back of that, easily covering their annual access to ProTrader. And those opportunities abound if and when you show up and start to hang out. So if you haven't done it yet, this might be your year. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles, Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh, James, uh, we're getting March the Machines previews later this week. You ready for the hype cycle to begin all over again? Yeah, here we we go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) 